I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. I will start at verse 13 and read through the end of the chapter. You can find it printed on page 12 of your worship guide as well. Romans chapter 4, 13 through the end of the chapter. As I go to read, I do remind you once again that this is indeed the living word of God. It is true forever for everyone, and it is indeed a life-giving precious gift. May we all receive it as such this morning. Romans 4. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. I remind you again this morning that it matters what you think about and what you believe. That's how we started last week, and I encourage you to Think about and believe Psalm 119, verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. So did you think about that this past week? Did you remember Psalm 119:50? Last week here, we, we looked at how circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism today are both a sign of God's promise. His word is true. The gospel of Jesus Christ is indeed true. All who believe in Christ will be saved, forgiven of their sin, and counted righteous in Jesus Christ. Psalm 119.50, this is my comfort in my affliction. So we talk about the affliction of sin, that we are all in need of cleansing, in need of reconciliation with God. This is my comfort in that affliction that your promise, the promise of God, gives me Life, The promise of salvation in Jesus Christ does indeed provide the cleansing that we need and it does indeed lead to eternal life, peace with God. Now this morning, it's not a repeat of last week, don't worry, but this morning the focus is not so much on God's promise but on the God behind the promise. The God in whom Abraham believed. Why do we believe this God? Why do we trust in him? Why do we believe his word and find comfort or receive life 
in his promise. There are many who make promises. Promises that have indeed returned empty or returned void. This happens in many areas of our lives. There's a certain particular cell phone company that told me if I purchase this new phone, I will get a $250 rebate. And after many hours on the phone and visits in the store, I am still waiting. And I think that's going to be a wait that will not end. But that's not such a big deal, right? That's nothing compared to the broken promise from a friend or a spouse or a parent or an employer. There are many who make promises. So you may not have had a good experience in trusting the word or the promise of others. So what's different? What's different about the God in whom Abraham believed? And thanks be to God, there is something different, something very different. But why should you too believe this God and trust in him? Listen to verse 20 again. No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Beloved, my heart's desire and prayer for us is that the word of God and these sermons from Romans chapter four will help you indeed grow strong in your faith and give glory to God. I pray that Psalm 119 verse 50 will help you grow strong in your faith as you meditate on it and remember it and think about it through the week. This is my comfort in my affliction. That your promise gives me life. Yes, in the affliction of sin. That it reminds you of the promise of the gospel. Let it encourage you to trust in Jesus once again, to be assured of his forgiveness and his love for you, and then to respond with love and trust and obedience. But also, the affliction of suffering. When you need comfort and when you need strength. And that will be our focus today and then again, Lord willing, next week. How can we face the affliction of suffering? How do we live in the midst of overwhelming circumstances that would tempt us to unbelief? How do we respond in faith? Verse 21 says, Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do as he promised. So Abraham looked his suffering square in the eye and he came out triumphant. He grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God. How? How was he able to do that? And how will we be able to do that? Well, it starts with God. It starts with God. And so we will have two sermons on this topic, Lord willing, and finish Romans chapter 4. But first today, we simply want to behold the glory of God together from Romans chapter 4. That we would know this God. We must know him if we are going to trust him, if we're going to put our faith in him, if we're going to be fully convinced that he's able to do what he promised. Psalm 910 says, those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So it makes a difference who you trust, who they are, 
and what they do. We can trust this God because of who he is. He is and he is God. We can trust him because of what he has done, what he will do, what he's able to do, his perfect track record of faithfulness. He has a spotless record, perfect record of faithfulness. And beloved, I want to fill you in on a secret this morning. Don't let it be a secret. You will not be the one. You're not going to be the one, the outlier, the one person in all human history that proves God wrong. You simply will not. You cannot. You are not able. It is impossible. So this week, we're looking at the God in whom he believed. Abraham believed this God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Let's focus on this God in whom he believed. And then next week, fully convinced God was able to do as he promised. We'll consider the promise in more detail, along with Abraham's response of faith in the midst of his affliction so that we too can learn to grow strong in faith and give glory to God. But it begins with God, knowing him, who he is, the one that we trust. Do you believe this God? Do you think about him? Is it his promise that gives you life today? Is your mind stayed on him, set on him? Do you trust in him? Here's a sermon in a sentence. The God in whom Abraham believed is worthy. He's worthy of your faith, your belief, your trust, because he is. And he and he alone gives life to the dead, and he and he alone calls into existence the things that do not exist. So we begin, the God in whom Abraham believed is worthy of your trust because he is. Look at verse 17 again. Paul writes, in the presence, in the presence of the God in whom he believed. Beloved, you live in the presence of God. All the time, everywhere, always. He is that is, he exists. He is real. He's your creator. You belong to him, and this is his world. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who dwell therein. Psalm 24, verse 1. Paul references this in his sermon in Acts chapter 17. He said, God is not far from each one of us, but in him we live and move and have our being. So God is worthy of your trust because he is, that is, he exists. He is the real one true God. In fact, you could not, you would not exist apart from him. There is one true living God. And if you want to live in accord with truth, with reality, and not in a fantasy land, a world of your own making, it begins by acknowledging the one true God. There is indeed one true God. He is, and you live and move and have your being in his presence always. And beloved, this is a great comfort to the children of God. You can trust God. He is with you, and he cares for you. Do you remember when you were a child, or we have many children here? Maybe they are experiencing this right now. Or maybe this still happens to you, even if you're grown up. 
But remember, you may have been afraid of being alone, being by yourself. And all it took to comfort you, to remove your fear, was the presence of a loving parent. See, when you're in the presence of this one who loves you, the one who takes care of you, the one who can protect you and help you and wants to do so, your fear is relieved. The very presence of this loving one leads to trust and peace. Beloved, you live in the presence of God Almighty. Always, everywhere, he is with you to comfort you and to lead you in paths of righteousness and truth, to lead you to life. You can trust him. David wrote in Psalm 139, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take up the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The God in whom Abraham believed is worthy of your trust because he is. You live in the very presence of this God. Well, second, the God in whom Abraham believed is worthy of your trust because he, and he alone, gives life to the dead. There are two examples of this in Romans chapter 4. Two main examples. First, a child or a life being born to Abraham and Sarah. And then second, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And both of these are true historical examples. These are real events that happened in a real time and place in history. There was a real man who lived whose name was Abraham. And he was married to a real woman named Sarah. And they both were far too old to have children. They had tried many times and had failed. We'll look at that example more next week. But the point is here, Paul uses, he uses death language when he's talking about them. Abraham's body was as good as dead, being 100 years old. Sarah's womb was as good as dead. Verse 19 talks about the barrenness of her womb. That means her womb was unable to produce life. And in fact, the Greek word is deadness, the deadness of her womb. And yet, what happened? They had a real child named Isaac. Why? Not because they were able, but only because God and God alone gives life to the dead. And he did. He did what he promised he would do. In Genesis 18, he comes to Abraham and Sarah, and he asks them this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And it was a question meant to comfort them. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious, right? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then he made this promise. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And that's exactly what happened. Because God gives life to the dead. The Lord returned and he gave life to the dead womb and Sarah had a son. That's the first example. The second we see in verse 23. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Jesus was put to death on the cross. 
He was put to death for your sin. And friend, if you're here this morning or maybe watching through the live stream and you have not before heard or understood or believed the gospel, let me just quickly summarize it for you. I've shared this summary with the proclamation family before. Just remember that simple word gospel and you can remember this great news. God created us to be with him. We are designed to worship God, to enjoy fellowship with him. But our sin has separated us from God. We rebel against our creator. We want to be our own kings, to do as we please. The Bible calls that sin. And that sin separates us from the holy God. And our sins cannot be removed by good works. You can't make up for the bad things you do by doing good things in its place. You cannot reconcile yourself to the holy God. But instead, what happens? Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. God sent his own son to pay the price that we deserved to pay. So now everyone who repents and trusts in Jesus will be forgiven of their sin, will be reconciled to the holy God, and will have eternal life. And that life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. So friend, if you have not believed, I would urge you, believe today. Hear that good news and trust in this God, and God will give life to your dead soul. He will make you alive when you were dead. We know that God can do this. We know that he will do this because he raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus, truly God and truly man, a real man who lived at a real time and place in history. He really, truly died. He was buried. People mourned his death. And then three days later, God, this God, the God in whom Abraham believed, the same God his children believe today, the same God you are trusting in today, he raised Jesus from the dead. He gave physical life to the dead. Beloved, the point Paul is making in Romans 4 is that this God, the one that Abraham believed, the one he wants you to believe and trust, this God is infinite in power. There is nothing that he cannot do. To underscore that, he just makes this point. He gives life to the dead. If he can do that, he can do anything. He gives life to the dead. The things that are obstacles to us are not obstacles to God. The things that defeat us do not defeat God. The things that we worry about do not worry God. The things that make us afraid do not produce fear in him. When all hope seems lost, when you cannot see a way forward, when you've reached the dead end, when there's absolutely nothing that you can do to change your situation, to bring healing or comfort or peace, God is able. This God gives life to the dead. So children, you've heard me mention this song before. I hope you're still learning it and singing it. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing, there's nothing my God cannot do. This God is able. He gives life to the dead. This is why our dear beloved sister, Jody Coyman, when just recently she's down in Houston and the surgeon looks at her and he tells her, you're not a good candidate 
for surgery to remove the cancer from her body. She responds and says to him, I have a big God. Because she believes and trusts in this God who gives life to the dead. And I would urge you to pray for Jody. As she's in South Dakota right now, receiving her chemo treatment once again. And let's pray that the next time she goes and sees that doctor again, that he'll be amazed. That our God, who can give life to the dead, will do that in her own body. She's able to say that because this God is worthy of her trust. Whatever he does, he's worthy of her trust. And he's worthy of your trust, beloved He gives life to the dead. That means he has power over life and death. He's the creator, the author of life. Even the worst of circumstances do not face him, do not hinder him. He's infinite in power. That means there's no limits to his power. He does as he pleases. He's also our savior and our redeemer. He has the power to change people to truly transform lives. So these truths about God, they're meant to comfort his people, to encourage your faith, your trust in him, to assure you that you have eternal life. God made you alive when you were dead. So listen, if you're a child of God today, you are a living, breathing, walking example of this truth. God gives life to the dead. And you can trust him with your own salvation and you can also trust him with the salvation of your loved ones. God can save anyone. He can save anyone. When it it comes to spiritual death, dead is dead. You can't be more dead or less dead. There's no level of difficulty in God saving someone. No one is harder for God to save than anyone else. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. That means the flesh can't make it happen and the flesh can't stop it from happening. So beloved, who are you in anguish over for their salvation? Who breaks your heart? Your gracious God, your loving heavenly father who has saved and redeemed you. When you were dead, you did not deserve it. You did not love him. He is the one who gives life to the dead. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. That's Psalm 68, 20. Believe in this God. Trust in this God. His resurrection power, his goodness, his grace. He is worthy of your trust. Every day, he is giving life to the spiritually dead. Every day across the world, he is bringing people into his family. And every day, every day, he is welcoming those who physically die in Christ to their eternal home. Freeing them from all sin and misery. The God in whom Abraham believed raised Jesus from the dead. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that this is, Christ is the first fruits. So he is the first of many to follow. He's an example. He is a guarantee that he would raise all who trust in him to eternal life. 
So beloved, you too will rise from the dead. Your physical body will indeed be resurrected with no pain, no sickness, no suffering. And how we are looking forward to this. Jimmy has shared with us before, he can't wait for that resurrection body. No more pain in his knees or his shoulders. No more cataract surgeries. This new body is coming for all who trust in Christ. And beloved, you will rise from the dead to join all those in Christ who have already died. Though they die, yet they live. This is why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. It matters what you think about, what you believe. He's saying, I want you to know this. I want you to think about this. Don't be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Because you have hope. So that's what he's telling us. You have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Whose word are you going to believe? Whose word are you going to trust? This is a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, beloved, encourage one another with these words. You know what that means? We need to know these words. It matters what we think about, what we believe. We need to know these words, and we need to share them with one another so that we might encourage one another. Beloved, Who else can do this? Who else can make this promise and carry it through? And whose hands do you want to place your life? There's no one else who can do anything about your death. Anyone else that you believe in or that you trust in, they are powerless. So it matters who you trust, right? Think about who you trust. Last week, My wife, Amy, trusted Lillian Brangle, she's seven years old, with the key fob to our Subaru. So Amy's leaving, and she wanted me to get the key so I wouldn't be stuck here. I'd have a ride home. And she gives it to a seven-year-old girl, Lillian. And Lillian came through. She proved herself trustworthy. She brought it right to me. Thank you, Lillian. Great job. But think about who you put your trust in for rescue from death. Who are you trusting to bring you through death into life? Think about it this way. We would not ask Drew Gingrich, one of our youngest members. He's five months old. We wouldn't ask him to set up for church, right? He, he couldn't do anything to help. He couldn't organize it. Someday, I'm sure he will. He's Colin's son. He'll be an excellent organizer. But he couldn't do it now. He couldn't lift a finger. So even though we believe in every member ministry, we're not going to ask Drew to set up church for us. So friend, why? Why do we ask people? Why do we ask created things? Why do we ask God's good gifts to do things they simply cannot do? 
things they were not made to do. They cannot give life to the dead. They cannot satisfy the longings of your soul. Whether it's food or drugs or alcohol or pleasure or entertainment or sports or money or respect or sex or power, they cannot give life to the dead. They cannot satisfy your soul. They can provide distraction, the allure of comfort that only leads to greater sorrow, temporary pleasure that leads to pain, but in reality, in truth, they're not worthy of your trust. They are not worthy of your life. They are powerless. They are unable to give life. The beloved, the God in whom Abraham believed, he is worthy of your trust because he and he alone gives life to the dead. And then finally, the God in whom Abraham believed is worthy of your trust because he and he alone calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now, some who study the Bible say that this is further emphasizing God's great infinite power, that that he created all things out of nothing. And that certainly is true, and it's affirmed throughout the scriptures. But the text here is more focused on the certainty of God's word, the certainty of his promise. So I think a better uh, translation or a better fit for the context of Romans 4 may be this, the God who summons the things that do not yet exist as though they already do. Let me explain what I'm talking about. This is what God was doing when he told Abraham in Genesis 17, I have made you the father of many nations. Not I will make you, but I have made you the father of many nations. God said that to Abraham before the child of promise, before Isaac was even born. God was speaking of something yet to happen as if it already had happened, as if it already was a reality. No one else could do this and actually make it happen. Now, some of you young young people, you might be saying, wait a minute, Pastor Troy, I manifest things all the time. That's what young people are told today. You can think your dreams into reality. If you believe you can, you can. Young people talk about that. They're told that. You can't do that. Now, yes, you can work hard. You can succeed in some things, even things that might be important and valuable, worthwhile pursuits, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. This is a different kind of bringing into existence things that do not exist. And there are many things out of your control that can derail your plans, your efforts, efforts at manifesting. For me, nothing I could do would ever make it possible for me to be in the NBA, a professional basketball player, even when I was young. I was too short and too slow. I can't manifest myself to be taller or faster. Beloved, there's nothing that is out of God's control. Nothing that can derail his plan or his promise. So he says to Abraham, when he has no children, you are the father of many nations because God and God alone can call into existence the things that do not yet exist. So when he said that, to Abraham, the many nations were in the do not exist category, but God would call them into existence. He would accomplish his purpose. He would fulfill his plan. And so Peter will write in 1 Peter 2 about us, once you were not a people, but now you are 
the people of God. So we are part of this promise that God gave to Abraham. Why? Because God called us into existence. Not just that we live, but that we are his people. Because once you were not a people, but now God planned, he purposed, he made a promise, and he made you the people of God. And he and he alone is able to make that happen. God and God alone always fulfills his plans, his promises. I've encouraged you to memorize Romans chapter 8, at least the end, verses 31 through 39, but I encourage you to do the whole chapter. But Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8, and one of the most familiar promises for God's people, beginning in verse 28, he says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You hear how he's speaking? We are not yet glorified. Right in this very moment, we are not with Jesus in glory made perfect in holiness, freed from all sin and misery, enjoying our resurrection bodies with God's people in God's place, enjoying God's presence. That glory does not yet exist for us here, but Paul speaks of it as if it's already happened. Why? Because God, God calls into existence things that do not exist. So beloved, again, there is zero chance For those of you who are united to Christ, there is zero chance that you will not be glorified. It's happening. It's going to happen. It is guaranteed, in fact. For one of our beloved brothers, who was just here two weeks ago, he wanted to be a member of Proclamation. Instead, he's a member of the church triumphant today. He is glorified. God called our brother Doug Gray. He justified our brother Doug. And now he has glorified Doug. He did it just this week for our beloved brother Doug. Beloved, God is worthy of your trust. Because he and he alone calls into existence the things that do not exist. Is your faith in this God. Do you believe this God? Do you trust him? He is worthy of your trust because he is. He's real. He's the living God, the one true God. You live and move and have your being in his very presence. He's worthy of your trust because he and he alone gives life to the dead. And he's worthy of your trust because he and he alone calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is the God in whom Abraham believed. Will you believe in him today? The psalmist says, those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So beloved, may you put your trust in this God, believe in him, and you will never be put to shame. Amen.